Sam, thank you very much. Can I grab the mic, please? Thank you. Um, now, I want to try something. I, I, notice, I, know, I know you're itching to, to go and say hello to somebody. So, for the next couple of minutes, I'd like you to sort of hop up, say hello, and welcome everyone. No, not to me, to everybody else. To everybody else. Um, fellowship for the next few minutes. But when you sit back down, when you sit back down, what I would like for you to do is actually move all the way to the front and fill up all the chairs. Uh, now, you people in the back row that like to be the rebels, you, that means you too. But okay, so everyone get up, have a fellowship time. But when you sit down, I want all the seats at the front filled up by everybody, please. And there's a reason why I want to show it in a minute. So go and say hello, please. mysterious way and then she come and talk to me and where's the church is it near my she stays at the Hasamore behind Hasamore she's from China got the son here to study husband still okay okay grab a seat ladies and gentlemen welcome this morning please grab a seat Fill up towards the front, please. Fill up towards the front. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, there's a reason why. Okay. Please grab a seat, please. Thank you very much. Please fill up some of the seats towards the front. There's a reason why I want to be able to do this. Okay.
If you, if you can actually sit with somebody you don't really sit with as well, that'd be great. Come on, brother. You've got, you got these four seats in front. Come, come and sit a bit further forward. A bit further forward. That's good. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Now, we are, at the end of the service, we're praying for people that we, that we know that aren't Christian. <laughs> so after the service, we're praying for people who are not Christian, family, friends, loved ones who don't know the Lord yet. And when I look around with you guys that have moved up a bit forward, I see a lot of empty seats here. Now, granted, there are a lot of people away on holiday and doing various things and family trips because it is beautiful weather. I understand that. But if you ever look around and you see all these empty seats, what I want you to be doing over the next week, over the next few weeks, is that I want you to be praying for those people who don't know Jesus those people that you want to come to know the love and the goodness and the grace that they will be filling up one of these seats. And then, as, as, and here's the thing, when it comes to praying, and it, it's great, you pray that God will prepare their hearts for when you then step out by faith and minister the gospel through your action and through your word. That's what I want you to do. We are told, we are told that he desires to build his church, that the gates of hell will not stand against. And in talking with one of my brothers yesterday at the men's retreat, uh, we as Christians can get so content in just existing in our lives, we lose sight of our greater purpose, of our greater call, of the reason why we are still here now. And God desires to use us to reach out so others might know and experience his love as well. I mean, we experience the joy. I look around and I see the love and the joy and the happiness and the smiles, the relationships and the friendships. And God desires us to bring people into that as well that don't know. So have a look around and you allocate a seat to a person that doesn't know Jesus that you know and pray that they will fill that seat as they come to know Jesus themselves. Now, over the past several weeks, we've been doing a series as work as worship. And we've been wanting to establish the, uh, our attitudes, the way we view work and what work actually is and the roles that we have in the marketplace. Now, I don't actually have any PowerPoint slide for you today, so I will do my best to speak slowly and clearly and not get too sort of fast in my speech. If I do, Auntie Judy, just sort of like, if I, t- oh yeah, okay, you wag, wag your finger, yeah, wag your finger. Okay, yeah. oh, okay. thank you very much, sister. And see, while we have focused on various people and, and their jobs, the biblical truths are still just as relevant and just as applicable regardless of the role you have in life. You may be retired, these truths apply to you as a retiree. You may be a student, these truths apply to you as a student. And so whilst we have been interviewing people in the marketplace, um, I've really enjoyed this. Actually, this has been an initiative that Pam started off a while ago, Get to Know a GCCer. And whilst this has been connected to a sermon series, that is something that I would like to continue so we can best pray for each other 
in the market. So I'm going to be coming to see some of the uncles and aunties and some of the students and, and some of the couples and things like that within the church and interview you so we can best pray for you as well. So today I've, I've asked a brother to come up and share with us this morning and ask him a few questions. So if you could please make him feel welcome. Mr. Aaron T, could you please come forward, brother? There you go, my friend. Okay, so I, I sent out a series of six questions for Mr. T to have a look at, which, um, from what I understand, he looked at and never looked at again. So, Aaron, what do you do and how long have you been doing this job for? Sure. So, I am what's called a business partner. Uh, what we do is we partner alongside the business. So, when companies are trying to develop their strategy and execute their strategy, um, they get someone of different areas of expertise to make sure that what they're doing is, I guess, the best that the company can produce. So, for example, probably the most simple one is like a legal business partner. So, if a company wants to buy or, or make an acquisition or they want to advertise out to the public or reach anything like that, they're going to develop the strategy in a way and the legal business partner will make sure they're not doing anything that may cause them to break the law. Um, okay. So... My area that I'm a business partner in is analytics, and that just basically means data. So if they're going to execute a strategy, I will determine how much it will benefit the company, how long it will take for us to get our money back. Um, should we target certain groups um, of people? or Because um, sometimes we want to target certain people. We don't want to do it to the whole company because it could be risky, or it could. Um, we can get learnings if we say, what happens if we only market it this way to females or only market this way from people from 25 to 36 and all that? So I will stand alongside them and help them build out the strategy and execute it in a way that, um, I guess, helps the company the most from a perspective of data. Okay. It sounds complicated. All I got from that is... You help people to buy stuff. That's, that's all I got. That's, that's all I got, me. I'm sorry. But, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I've been doing that for about five years. Five years. Yeah. Which, actually, which actually does lead to my next question, because it doesn't look like something that you grew up thinking, I want to help people buy stuff. So why this career choice uh, as you look at life? So when I was, I put in my university entrances about a, a few days before they were due, because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, being a typical... Asian, I just chose commerce, and I had no idea what that meant. Um, I went towards accounting, and when I started working in accounting after getting my degree, I found out I really didn't like it, so I spent a couple of years in um, an accounting firm, and I got my CA, and then I kind of just wanted to do something else, because I, I literally hated my career. And so, <laughs> I moved to something called analytics, and I didn't, whatever I thought it was is not really what it was, but I found out I enjoyed it. Nice, nice. So I guess then moving on to the spiritual side of things, um, how does your profession of faith influence you in your conduct at work? So I think there's probably two major areas. One area is in my work. Um, a lot of the time, if you're a subject matter expert in a certain field in the work, um, you might know that area more than anybody else. And it comes with some good things and it comes with some really bad things. And one of the bad things it comes with is you have your own lease on the work that you do. So if uh, a, a model takes two days or three days to build, um, or let's say it takes one day, if I said it took three days, no one's going to know any difference because I'm the one who will tell them how long something will take. So I think 
you need to have that attitude where you are working for God so that you're not lazy because to a certain extent, especially as you grow in your career, you have more opportunities to um, do a, a quick and dirty analysis when really I should have done a proper model around it or um, just um, taking your time doing things. Yeah, and okay. the company finds ways to try and manage that. So um, a, la- a large part of my remuneration will be linked to the equity of the company to try and incentivize me to um, always do my best all the time. But it can be pretty tempting when you're on a, a day where you just had it that, you know, you just go home or you just went, you know, you could do a little bit better. So yeah. that I think that's the work aspect. And the other aspect is definitely the people aspect and I don't think that changes in any of the careers that we have but you probably do realize in the workforce people have different thoughts and different ideas and I think that we have the ability to sow into people's lives. So then how do you think for your position um, especially with the people side of things making an impact for the gospel with the people that you interact with? Uh, Yep so I think when I look around in the corporate world, most people are, like, they definitely like to gossip a lot potentially and um, and talk about things that they don't like or people they may not like. And I think something very simple we can do is just play a little bit of a devil's advocate. So we're not necessarily tearing them down, but just sharing from the experience. You know, sometimes things aren't exactly what we expect. A common thing is people aren't happy with their boss and sometimes they'll talk to me about it and all that. And I've been an employee, I've been a manager and I've been um, in different roles and I can tell them, look, I used to sometimes think the same way, but then when I was on the other end, um, it's not always as it seems. The other thing is people are generally chasing money and promotions and and the sky's the limit when it comes to to the corporate world. Like there are people on more basic salaries, but there are people that you're sitting next to earning multiple millions of dollars and everyone's trying to be that. And just to be able to say something on the lines of like, um, of like bringing logic to them, like, you know, um, there is a diminishing return to what you can do with money. So while everyone's just chasing this sort of thing, you can even speak to them, hey, you know, when you were at this phase at this phase, did it really impact your happiness or did it actually bring anything and change your life? So you can bring philosophical wisdom and as you grow, as you are a bit more, as you get more senior in your roles, people start to respect the things you have to say because they're thinking, well, this person has gotten somewhere that I aspire to be and so therefore you kind of get an automatic in. Mm. And then you can also then talk about things that relate to the gospel. Like I don't think... I have really gotten that much persecution by sharing what I believe in, but I think there is a lot of apathy and people not really caring. Um, but I think we have a huge um, role to play in influencing people. And I think the corporate world gives so many ways for us to do that. It's it, One thing can be the direct approach where you can start prayer meetings and Bible studies in the work if, um, if that's something you can do, but it can be even other things. So, Companies are very, um, it's not okay to be anti-abortion. It's not okay to be um, not supporting LGBTQI and whatever else in the alphabet there is. Um, and it's finding that, that, that way that you can speak to people. And one discussion I had with someone one time, they were just blown away that we can not agree with these things, but we can still love people and we can still 
treat them with respect because a lot of times they come hand in hand and I think yeah. that's where a lot of aggression that comes. They're saying, well, if I'm this sort of person, it means you don't like me. And I was able to say that, you know, that's not it at all. I think everybody has things in their life that we don't agree with socially and that God doesn't agree with, but it doesn't mean that we treat those people different. This is just what we hold. And I think it, if we come across and we get time to build these relationships, we can um, have a genuine conversation with them. Because I, and I think the most important thing is just getting to know people so that they trust that you have their best interests at heart and then you can sort of share these things. Mm. Um, Okay. And I, th- I think in there's just so many opportunities we don't even look at. So because of things like things can't be, all oh, things need to be pro-abortion um, and pro-LGBT, all that sort of stuff. Even if the company has things like if you give a dollar, they'll match it. They'll they'll never match anything that is a religiously affiliated um, charity. So okay. all the charities there are non-religious. So I think you know in the corporate workplace we have so many places to influence um, these sort of things. Okay. So how then, give us two things we can pray for for you in your workplace. I think number one thing is the raising up of Christians in the workplace. Um, I have about 140 people in my company, including contractors. We probably have about four or five Christians that I know of. Yep. And that's probably actually not too bad, um, four or five percent. But yeah, just the raising up of other Christians and I think... Just the um, just just um, basically that people take a stand in the workplace. That work won't just be something where they just go to earn their money, do whatever they do, but actually see it that the fact that if we're going to spend forty hours in the workplace, that we can be brave and courageous to step up and make a difference uh, in that area of life, because it probably yeah. is our largest yeah single area of influence. Time. All right, very cool. Thank you very much for that. Uh, now, just to give a round of applause, I'm going to pray for Aaron now, and then we'll pray for, the, for us as we look at this. So if you want to stretch your hands out as well for Aaron as he goes out, because is it work tomorrow? Back. Nice. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Aaron. I thank you for blessing him with the job that he's in now. I thank you that he is able to make a stand, uh, that he's able to shine as a light for you in his workplace amongst even such the the hostile climate to those who are your followers. We pray for him now, Lord, especially in the raising up of Christians within the workplace, uh, whether he answers the call himself to maybe start a Bible study, to maybe start a prayer meeting, to maybe start a time of fellowship within the workplace and where believers, your children, might gather and pray for the souls that don't know you. I pray, Father, that these Christians will not be fearful, as, as he also shared, to be able to make that stand. I pray that he will set the example to stand up himself, uh, to, to dare to step out on your promises, uh, to live a life of integrity, to earn the right to be heard. We pray that you will use Aaron within his workplace to such a great extent where he will be known as a man of God that not only stands upon holiness, but as a man that expresses your love as well. So, Father, as we commit him into your hands, as we look into your word now, we pray that you'll convict our hearts about where we are at in our lives, that where we're at in our relationships, but also, Lord, give us the spiritual discernment and the spiritual senses to identify your hand working in our context as well and to respond in obedience. So we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you very much for that, brother. Greatly appreciated. Greatly appreciated. So, in Matthew chapter 5, Verse 48, we have Jesus teaching 
in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, you have to bear in mind that this specific exhortation is given in the context of loving your enemies, of praying for those who persecute you, of being countercultural, of acting decent to others, even if they don't act decent to you. That is completely against our nature as people. It eludes us, most of us, and sadly, it eludes most of us as Christians as well in our conduct toward others. And the reason why I just want to make reference to this exhortation is because today we are going to look at the third exploit of Daniel from Daniel chapter 6. And the reason why I wanted to look at this exploit is because as I've looked at Daniel and his friends, I have seen an attitude expressed of dependence, of trust, of complete commitment and devotion to their God and to their relationship with their God. And they, in turn, were people who got to experience the sheer power, the sheer mercy, the sheer presence of God in each of their lives. And, and I think, no, no, not I think, I know that is what we desire to experience as well in our Christian lives. So if you go to Daniel chapter 6, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I've asked a couple of friends to help me read this morning. But I'm going to read a section, then I'm going to look at the point and see what God teaches us this morning through the example of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, we read this. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Verse 5. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. I could read that again, but look at all the truths that are found within those three verses. And here is my first point. As God's children, as disciples of Jesus Christ, be people of integrity. Be people of integrity. You'll notice something very interesting here. The satraps, which are like the governors, the administrators. See, Daniel stood out from all of these people, all of these leaders, all of these people jockeying for position. He stood out. Why? Because of his exceptional qualities. Now, there would have been qualities of leadership. 
there would have been qualities of learning. There would have been qualities regarding his ability. We see that in Daniel chapter 1, the reason why these guys were picked to be part of the kings uh, of that time, the king's sort of elite squad of academics, is because they displayed qualities of leadership, of learning, of ability. And that was identified. But there is something more about Daniel's person that shines above an individual's qualities. And you know what that is? His character. His character as a child of God. His character as one who knows the God of Israel. There are a lot of people that have a lot of ability but are, but are disqualified from various positions, no matter what it might be, due to their character. I remember many years ago, there was a young man. I don't even remember his name because of what had happened. He was, gun, he was, he was aiming to be an Olympic swimmer. Then he got into a fight over something ridiculous, which involved alcohol, and he lost his position, not because he lacked ability, but because he lacked character. You see the difference? Now, a character of value, though, if it's based upon biblical truth, if it falls in line with God's heart and God's desire, exemplifies who he is and makes one stand out. So much so that Daniel's enemies could not find anything to throw against him. They could not dig up any dirt to use against him and to help them in their, in their I guess you could say, opportunity to take him out of that particular game. His character shone. And he was known as that by his enemies as well as by his supporters. And so the thing they used to tear him down is the very thing that caused him to stand out, his relationship with his God. And if you look around, and I know for the last few weeks I've been making um, sort of reference to various things happening in the news, but I read an article just recently, we're up in the central coast, up in the central, oh no, sorry, yeah, it's around Central Coast or northern New South Wales. There is a person within the government that is trying to classify the gospel as hate speech. So they are trying to outlaw the fact that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for your sin that Jesus called, calls you to repentance and trust in him for the forgiveness of sins, they are trying to legally deem that as hate speech so that anybody that is standing on a street corner saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, can get arrested. Meaning it's going to move from a street corner to say a young handsome man in high school teaching scripture to a bunch of kids specifically a Polynesian man in a high school. But where that, me teaching at a, in, a, in, a, in a public school scripture about how much God loves them and what God has done for them, where I could be arrested for that. So how far will it be before they move from the street corners to the schools, to the churches, to the home Bible studies, before the gospel itself 
is deemed as hate speech. The way the enemy is working here through the, enemy, through the enemies of Daniel is the same way the world seems to be working towards us. To use the very thing that causes us to stand out to bring about our downfall. But you know what the joy is? We are told this within the Scriptures. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. I am told that I can take confidence because my God will never leave me nor forsake me. I don't have to worry. Why? Because according to Hebrews, we are to be looking for a kingdom to come, not for the kingdom that is the here and now. Which means this, if you look at Daniel and how he stood out due to his exceptional qualities, an interesting thought for us to consider is this. In your workplace, in your homes, in your families, in your schools, in your communities, what are you known as by those around you? What are you known as by those around you? In your place of employment, how is the testimony of Jesus communicated through how you act? How is the truth of God's love revealed in what you say or even in how you say it? How does what you do add to or take away from your testimony for Jesus in your unique situation? For example, as a grandparent, as a grandparent, how do your grandchildren see in you the grace and the mercy of God? As a parent, actually not even as a parent, as a father, how is the compassion and understanding of God communicated to your children in the way you treat them? As a mother, how is the compassion and, and the understanding revealed to your children and how, and how you communicate to them? I was talking with the gentleman last night at the men's retreat, and I, I would encourage you for the next men's retreat, come along. It was great. It was great. It was just being around men. It's not like we sat around a fire and chopping wood. and argh, It wasn't anything like that. It was men ministering to the hearts of other men, praying for, being with. I mean, John and Ben went for a run, but they're strange. Okay, so, but I was talking with the men last night, and something was really interesting. How, how do, how does the, the unity of the Trinity, how is that communicated to your children in the way dad treats mum? How is, the, the, how, how is that communicated to your kids? How, how does the power of submission from a wife to a husband, how is that revealed in the way a wife treats her husband? How is, how is the, the greatest love of all of Jesus Christ for his church revealed in the way a husband treats his wife? Because that's what your children see. How, how, and I shared this with the, and I'm greatly blessed. I'm greatly blessed by, by you as Grace Christian Church. But I, I have noticed, and I've noticed, and there are parents here, and I've, I have noticed how the children treat me 
and the respect they show me because of the way you treat me, because of the way the parents treat me. And how when the parents treat me with respect and, and with honor and, and I'm humbled by such, by such conduct towards me and, and I'm so undeserving of it, I'm so thankful for it. And I, the children, you know what happens? Your children see that and they respond to me accordingly. That's the impact that we have. Therefore, if your children recognize how or how, 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 how I'm supposed to be treated, how you act towards me, and even how the uncles and aunties treat each other and how they treat the uncles and aunties, then imagine the impact we have in communicating to them the greatness of who God is and how we treat our God, which would range from everything, everything from the way we prioritize our weekends to the way we value our prayer times to the way we, we, we get involved in our Bible studies to being at church on time to the fellowship that we have after the service. What not only our children and our grandchildren witness and what we do, but the example that we set for each other as well. What are you known as? For Daniel, he was a man of exceptional qualities that was neither negligent or took for granted anything he had because of his relationship with his God. And even at work, can there be a reputation, a reputation about you in your workplace that is grounded in a consistent character and an integrity that you display day in and day out? We had the graduation just recently at Borker Mills High School and a lot of former students came in. And there was a, a, a lady who came and met with me from a mission organization at the school and she was with me. And so they have a big lunch at Borker Mills High and, and I said, you hungry? Let's go have some lunch. So we went and had some lunch and all the kids were like, hey Joe, hey Joe, hey Joe. And parents were saying, hello Joe and, and things. And, and one of the, I did not pay the student to say this. But I introduced her, and I said, oh, this is, this is Diane, and, and she might be coming next week, actually, to come share something with us. And, and, and this is Ching Ching, and, and Ching Ching's not a Christian, and she said to me, um, I haven't seen her in four years, she said to me, you know, Joe, you've always been so positive and inspirational and hopeful, and I always remember you, and I'm thankful for that. So she left four years ago, and that's what she remembers about me. One person actually said, I loved your scripture classes, Joe. Thank you so much. And it, it really did make me look good in front of this person that I was meeting with. But I, that, was not, that was not my intent. So it's like, but that was, that was not my intent. I didn't take her there to say, look how fabulous I am. No, that was not my intent. My intent was to get fed. But I went, no, no, my, no the intent is this, the intent is this, is that, what I'm known as, prayerfully, is a man of God that stands up for what's right and desires to show the love of God to people that, encounter, that I encounter. What are you known as? Because we, like Daniel here, we're called to be people of integrity that show Jesus' love. At this point, I would like to invite my first reader, if I could have the microphone, if I did have the microphone. Oh, thank you very much for that. If I'd like to ask Adrian up, please. Thank you, sir. To look at your Bibles, I'm going to carry on reading from Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to start from verse 6 through to verse 13. 
Daniel chapter 6, verse 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, should be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance to the law of the Medes and Parisians, which cannot be repelled. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he has done before. Then this man went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about the royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, should be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance to the lord of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repelled. Then he said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree that you have put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Thank you very much for that, Adrian. As a person of godly integrity, Daniel's competitors or his enemies couldn't find anything to use to bring against him and his conduct, so they used his faith against him. Which brings up my second point. If we're to be people of integrity, expect to suffer for doing what is right. Expect to suffer for doing what is right. Sometimes we, as Christians, can be the recipients of harassment, of persecution and hassles because of our stand for the things of God. Now, you must bear in mind, though, there is a difference for being persecuted for righteousness' sake and being persecuted for stupidity's sake. There's there's two different things, okay? Sometimes we are suffering because we make poor decisions or we make bad choices or we might even try to play the victim or wear such things as badges of honor. For example, you don't show up to work on time consistently and then your employer goes to you and says, look, that's terrible. You walk away saying, he's only doing that because I'm a Christian. No, you're doing that because you're being a bad testimony. You might sit there and be involved in some sin, suffering the consequences for your sin you desire to partake. And this is what I find interesting. Um, for example, Jono. Jono shared last week the, the story of he could, he could have. No one would have known. He could have done the wrong thing and thought, okay, no one knows. I can get by it without being caught out. He could have gone that way. And what happens with sin is what? It finds you out. And it might come back to bite him. And he might lose his job. And Lord, why why did you do this? Well, no, that's because he made a bad choice. It's like a friend of mine who got in a car crash for not paying attention on the road and said, why did God let that happen? And I said, God didn't let that happen. You weren't watching the road. Don't be stupid. Like, that's the reality of it. 
Okay, but we are told, we are told to be aware that if we are going to experience persecution or hassles or harassment, let it be for the right reasons. That's why Jesus said, blessed, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of me. It is these last three words that put that whole thing into context. Because of Jesus, you're going to be suffering persecution. Because, as Aaron shared, making a stand on godly values regarding, say, abortion, regarding the old LGB, oh, I don't even know what those are. But, you know what I mean? That sounded really bad. Like the letters. I don't know what the letters are. Um, but, yeah, those sorts of things. And, and Paul, sorry, Peter stresses this point in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. He says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory, of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. If you're going to be known by those around you, let it be known that you are a follower of Jesus that exemplifies love, acceptance, understanding, but without compromising righteousness, holiness, and biblical justice. Okay, Be known for the right Reasons. Now, just a bit of a side note. If you look at John, um, Daniel chapter 6, verses 14 to 16, I'm going to read it for you. When the king heard this, so after he finds out that he's got to put Daniel in the lion's den, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. Now, I used to wonder why, when the king realized he had been fooled, why he didn't just change the law and rescue Daniel. I mean, he's the king. Why couldn't he just change things? Now, there's probably some official term to use, but in my simple terms, in the simplicity of my mind, it means that the king himself is bound to the law that he institutes as well. He can't make things up as he goes. A decent king, at least, not a tyrannical dictator, not a dictator, a dictator, a tyrant, will create the rules however they seem fit. But a decent king is bound by the law that he writes. So in C.S. Lewis's Narnia stories, and if you've ever read those books, in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader is an instance where Lucy goes and she reads this book. And as she reads this book, one of the things are, if she reads it, it makes that which is invisible visible again. So she reads it, and Aslan, which is the picture of Christ, appears. And this is what she says. She says, Aslan, you've come. It was kind of you to come. He responds, I have been here all the time, he said, but you have just made me visible. 
Aslan said Lucy, almost a little reproachfully, don't make fun of me as if anything I could do to make you visible. It did, said Aslan. Do you think I wouldn't obey my own rules? Now, the mystery of our relationship with our God, even in prayer, deepens because Jesus himself abides by the laws that he has instituted. People have asked me, well, why, didn't, why, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't he have just done this? Why couldn't he have just done that? Why couldn't he just put a blanket forgiveness over everybody? Why? Because God, being a God of order, a God of law, a God of holiness, a God of justice, has set in place the means by which people come to him, the means by which people are forgiven. And he is bound by those laws because they are his laws. Because he is light and within him is no darkness at all. If he changed the rules to suit himself, you know what he becomes? A tyrant. He becomes a dictator who chops and changes however he deems fit. It is the reason why in Matthew chapter 4, he uses the word of God to overcome the enemy. He uses the word of God, that which is available to us. And as shared yesterday from the guys uh, by Jeff Folland at the men's retreat, uh, he used the means available to us. He defeated Satan as man, using the resources that were available to him as man to overcome the temptations of the devil as man and was victorious over Satan as man standing upon the word of God. So if we are going to experience such things, then we, we ourselves, have those same means to overcome. And, and think about this for a second. Our God has, in Jesus Christ, given us promises that he abides by. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will supply all your need according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He abides by truths by which he upholds. God is love. God is good. God cannot lie. He abides by those truths. He abides by the reality that he adheres to, that he convicts the world of sin and judgment, that he causes his judgment to be exercised in holiness. And one of the greatest things is that God will never contradict himself. He will never contradict his word. And that's why he adheres to that and which gives us confidence, which means in prayer, when we talk with our God who cannot lie, our God who is love, our God who will never leave us or forsake us, we are told to do this, that when we pray, we are to ask, ask. We're told that. Seek and you will find. Ask. Matthew 6. We're told this. Matthew 6, 33. Hebrews 4, 16 refers to the privilege and approaching him to find grace and help in time of need. Not only are we to ask, we are to ask in his name. John 14, verses 13 and 14. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So we are to ask, we are to ask in his name, and we are to ask according to his will. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is why praying for God to move in the hearts of people is so important. According to 
what the Word of God says, He is not willing that any should perish. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see all these empty seats here? God desires people to be in these seats with those who know him as Lord and Savior because he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He, it's why he, he sent his son to pray for the salvation of friends, to pray for the salvation of family, to pray for the salvation of strangers. And, and it, what happens in our prayer life, because this is what God's heart's desire is, and we pray in accordance with God's heart's desire, means that we get to see God move through us in accordance with his desire. And so we become witnesses to God doing amazing things, which leads to the last reading. And I didn't realize I'm talking so long. But if I could ask Calvin, could you please come up, brother, for the last reading? This is Daniel chapter 16 to the end of the chapter. Sorry, chapter 6, verse 16. Yep. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. The stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you, continually, uh, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he, has, uh, and he shut the mouths of the, lion, of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. As the king's command, the man who was, had falsely accused Daniel was brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves he performs signs and wonders in heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Thank you very much for that, Calvin. So you have a man of integrity, of godly integrity, who is suffering persecution, which brings to my third and final point, that as God's children, as disciples of Jesus Christ, you will experience in those trials the nearness of our Savior. The nearness, the blessing of God's presence is experienced in the trials, in the struggles, and in the hardships of life. 
See, it was when Daniel and his friends were in captivity that their resolve to be faithful to their God was exercised and they saw God work. It was when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took the stand and not bowed down to the golden idol that they were got to partake and be witness to God's working in the fiery furnace. It was God, it was Jono, in that making that choice as to whether to, to do the right thing or do the wrong thing, that Jono got to experience God working through the right choice that added to his testimony and his integrity in the workplace. It has to be something in for God to be to you. You cannot be a Christian and be on the sideline. You cannot complain that you're not experiencing the nearness of God if you are never in a situation for God to be near. You can't. It's, it's ridiculous. There is no point standing on the sidelines watching the game being played and complaining why you never get to partake of what happens on the field. Well, you're not on the field. That's the reason why. And, and so on, and so on, and so on. D.L. Moody said this, Do not pray for God to give you deliverance from the hardships of life. Rather, pray that God will give you the strength to go through those hardships. Because it is in those hardships that you grow, and it is in those hardships you experience the very presence of God. And we know people who do this. We see people who do this. Their exploits for God and their testimonies that are revealed in their relationship with their Savior. It's revealed in their demeanor. It is revealed in their attitude. It is revealed in their perspective. For example, the faithfulness of God revealed in the life of John Sharp, who when you look at him, you see the joy of the Lord on his face. The, the, the testimony and the peace of, of the likes of Pastor John, who through years and years, I don't want to make you sound too old, brother, but through years of faithful ministry are being witnessed now to God's presence in your life with a peace that truly transcends every circumstance. With Pastor Ben and the trials that he has been through, we see God in his life and giving him direction and giving him contentment in a situation in this new chapter in life. We look at Andrew Finn, who has viewed his particular work position as a means to be able to minister the gospel in a country that is close to his heart. We have seen Julie go to Japan, and as she makes that step in Japan, minister the gospel to a people that don't hear. We have seen these things, and, and, and when we look at them, we see the nearness of God and the testimony of God in their lives as they communicate that to us. But it doesn't need to stop there. It can be how you as a husband treat your wife and experience the presence of God as you build that relationship of husband and wife. It is how you raise your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord as you minister and you experience the, the presence of God and even the difficulties when your kids are just being downright annoying. When your children get older and they become teenagers and you watch them and you see them and you think, make, make the right choice, and they don't, and you pray for them that they will, and God develops them. It is in the provision of a job for Eva, who after years and years and years of study and training, end up at Cheltenham High through the way God 
worked. It's, it's in looking at Carrie and seeing Carrie when she was there and the hardship of what she's going through and God's nearness to her even in the most darkest of times. It is in Aaron when Aaron is standing here and he's telling us about the impact that he can have. It's about Craig who is choosing to make the right choice and be a real estate agent that goes against the flow of what everybody else is doing. It's in all of those situations that the presence of God is evident. Which means the presence of God. If, if Daniel serves the same God that Craig and, and Aaron and Kerry and Eva and Pastor John and Pastor Ben and, and Jono, if, if that is the same God that we serve now, that means that's the same God who offers his presence to us in our situations also. It's the same God who wants to do the works of wonders, who wants to do the greatness of his grace through you in the context of whatever we might find ourselves in. But you only get to experience that if you get off the sideline and get into the game. Now, I want to close with this one challenge. This one challenge is, do you want to be a part of the game? Do you want to be on the field? Do you want to witness what God can do through you? Because, because in the workplace, as grandparents, as parents, as husband and wife, as, as, as workers, as employees, as employers, with all the roles that God has given to us, he calls us, and like, like Daniel's example given to us, as be people of integrity. And as people of integrity, expect to suffer, but suffer for doing the right thing. But as we suffer, as we go through the trials, as we go through the hardships, we get the joy of experiencing the presence of our Savior, the closeness of our God. And I, I'd say everybody here desires to see that, desires to experience that. And what's even more exciting, God wants to see that in you as well. So it is 12 o'clock. If you just want to bow your heads, I want to close in prayer. Um, if the prayer team could come forward as well. And we would love to pray for you this morning if God has spoken to you about something that's convicted you about how you view life, about how you view work, about how you view the role God has given you, something you want to repent of, something that you want God to change in you, then come forward so we could pray for you. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you and ask that you will awaken us from our spiritual slumber that you will stir our hearts, that you will shake us up, that we will go beyond the sheer contentment of going through the motions, but rather be stirred up and excited and, and enthused to be about your work and to be about the ministry you have entrusted us. Father, may you convict our hearts if we have been slack regarding our workplace, slack regarding our relationships, slack regarding just how we conduct ourselves. And Father, that you might challenge our hearts to repent of such things, to lay it at the feet. So we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we lay such things before you now. And we ask, Lord, that as we become people that truly exemplify you, become more like Jesus, that we will encounter hardship, but in that hardship, the joy of knowing your power, of knowing your presence, of knowing your purpose.
Father, please awaken us, for there are some who have not yet heard the, tr- the wonderful truth of your love in Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask for you to dismiss us now. We ask for you to wake us up. We ask for you to stir us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. If, if you don't want to come up and be prayed for, man, 